All right, we're live. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We're here. It's Money Talks from the KFBS Digital News Desk. How is everybody today? We're glad to see you. Um, we've got David Yaskevich with us here today on Money Talks. He is with the Southeast Missouri State University Department of Accounting, Economics, and Finance. He's the chair there. Um, David, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you, Clayton? Doing fine, doing fine. We're glad to have you here. Um, glad to get a better idea now about some of the latest economic indicators and what they are signaling for our economy. Um, and to start that out, um, looking at durable goods orders, and that's from the Census Bureau. Can you tell us more about what they're seeing there, what the trend is, uh, and what the takeaways are? Oh, sure. Well, durable goods would be manufactured products, kind of big ticket items that could be either purchased by consumers or businesses. So these would be orders for these manufactured products. They get reported every month. And what I like about this as a measure of economic activity and the information value that you would get would be right now we're in an environment where there is some uh, caution or some uncertainty about how the economy will be later this year. So there's some uh, consumer pessimism that might exist. There's also an environment of high interest rates and usually manufactured products are uh, something that either businesses or consumers would borrow to purchase in many cases. So interest rates might have an impact on those sales in addition to the pessimism about activity and perhaps income or profits in the future. So with that said, the number for the month of January for a monthly number, it was actually a pretty good number, and that would reflect some of the stronger economic data we got in the labor market and in other areas as well that we reported in previous episodes of Bunny Talk. So there's been a rather string of strong data points for the economy in the month of January, but it also included inflation, which was strong from the sense that it was high. But with durable goods, there was an increase over the month of January by 0.7%. That would be the highest monthly increase in durable goods orders since March of last year. So that was a good number for the month of January. I should be careful. The number I reported that was a positive number would have excluded the purchase or the order of transportation goods. So the product of goods used for transportation, that's important because if you look at the headline number, this is another example of where the headline number could be misleading if you don't look at the full report. Uh, the headline number would have been durable goods orders declined by 4.5%, which is a pretty steep decline, but most of that had to do with reductions in the orders for commercial aircraft by businesses. Boeing is particularly the, the reason or the main driver of this shift in the data. Boeing had a large increase in sales of its aircraft at the end of December of last year, and there was a corresponding decline in the number of new orders in January. If you strip out or take away transportation purchases or transportation orders in the durable goods report, you would get a positive number overall and a pretty good monthly number. Now, if you look past one month, if you look over the last year, uh, if, and you average the last 12 months together each month of the last year, you'd see continual declines in the pace of new orders for durable goods. So that might indicate uh, prior to the last month where a lot of the data were pointing that we're going to see a slowdown in economic activity throughout 2023. I think the durable goods orders data would really reflect that. And if you look at some other 
uh, data that came out this week, it might also indicate that we might expect some decline in activity, um, or at least growth at a slower pace, I should really say, later this year. So that's the durable goods orders report. So good number for the month, although uh, a lot of uh, influence that one area, particularly the sale and orders of commercial aircraft had on that number. All right. And so with that, we have the Institute for Supply Management, um, their indexes on manufacturing and services. What do we see there? What are the takeaways? So this week, the Institute of Supply Management released two index reports it gives out. They're based on surveys of purchasing managers throughout the country. So these are surveys given to people who work at businesses, the purchasing managers. Uh, but the questions they're asked in the survey are related to rather objective uh, numbers. So they're the last questions about employment uh, at their company. Has that been higher or, or lower compared to the previous month? The last questions about new orders for the products they produce or the services that they produce. They'll ask about the supply of uh, or the delivery of uh, products they use to produce their goods or services. So in general, if you look at the different uh, categories of the rubric of the survey, you'll see mostly some indicators of activity. And you'll get some index number for activity. The main takeaways, I'll spare you the fine details of these two reports, but um, they reflect something we've been seeing in the economy for much of the last year and a half. And it would actually reflect some of what we saw in that durable goods orders report. Uh, if you looked at the index on manufacturing activity, that the ISM released this week, you would see the fourth consecutive month of declining manufacturing activity uh, at firms, although the, the rate of decline was at a slower pace according to the index numbers produced by the survey. So manufacturing of you know, tangible products uh, has been in the decline and, and that's something we have been seeing with shifts in consumer spending away from tangible products since the pandemic was through the worst months and towards services. Uh, if you look and correspondingly, you mentioned the uh, services index or the non-manufacturing index, which we really look at service production. Uh, the ISM survey indicated that that has increased for the second consecutive month, although at a slower pace from the previous month. So these surveys of purchasing managers throughout the country and these ISM index reports are indicating what a lot of the other data are, are reflecting, uh, slowdowns in the production of manufactured products, but increases in the production of services. So that's something we'd likely probably see for the next couple months. And the real question would be to what extent do we see manufacturing continue to decline? And to what extent do we start to see some cracking or some slowdown in the pace of services activity? All right. And another area where we are looking at um, some recent decline involves the Conference Board's Consumer Confidence Index. Can you tell us more about the, the trend there? So this is another survey that would be given out. So again, it's not objective economic data. This would be a survey, but you know, the question would be to what extent do perceptions of consumers in this case with the Conference Board's uh, survey on consumer confidence. To what extent does that reflect some of the employment numbers we see or the inflation data we see or the income data that we see? And there are some interesting stories you could pull from this. For example, the amount of 
consumer confidence did fall in the month of, of February is when this, this survey would have covered. It would have fallen their index value by 2 to 3% roughly. But what I find more informative would be the different components of this index on consumer confidence. So they'll look at two different aspects. Actually, they go a lot more granular than two different aspects, but two broad categories would be uh, perceptions of the present conditions of the economy. So consumer per perceptions at the present or the current moment. And then the last question is going six months from now. So a more short-term future outlook among consumers. So you'll see kind of a dichotomy. You'll see at the present, you'll see a rather strong amount of consumer confidence where there was an increase in the consumer confidence index for the present uh, time period. When they were asked questions about the current labor market, your current employment situation, your current perceptions of prices and your current perceptions of your, your income. Uh, there's other questions than that. When they asked questions about that for the current time period, consumers had an increase in their level of confidence based on this index over the last month. But the dichotomy here, the difference would be when you ask consumers what their perceptions are about where their income, where their labor market uh, situation will be, where prices will be six months from now. And you'll see a lot more pessimism when consumers are asked about the coming months. And that kind of would reflect a lot of the data we're seeing from more objective sources, where we're currently seeing some strong labor market data, although there are projections that that could slow down later this year. Same thing with manufacturing and service production, rather strong now, although manufacturing is a, a bit weaker than the service side, but there's some anticipation that those levels will slow down throughout the year. So uh, a good comparison when you get these perception surveys and to what extent does that reflect the objective data that we see? And I think for the different reports that we got this last week and the previous week, I think you're seeing quite a bit of alignment for the time being. All right. We are also looking at the story of large retail companies and their latest um, earnings reports uh, and, and the trends that they're seeing there, as well as some of the views that they are expressing with regards to, uh, to how they expect the year to go from their, from their vantage point in, in retail companies. Um, can you tell us more about what they're basing this off of and uh, what they're expecting for bracing for in, in these situations. If I were to go ahead and claim or, or uh, announce what the story of the week was in terms of business and economic news this week, I would say it would be the conversations and the reports that came out when several large companies, particularly retail companies, reported their quarterly earnings reports for the last quarter of their fiscal year. So a collection of what I would call bellwether companies uh, reported their earnings reports for the previous quarter within the last two weeks. So the two that would catch my attention would have been last week with Walmart and this week with Target. Uh, other companies that a lot of uh, analysts would pay attention to would be uh, Home Depot and Lowe's, so the home improvement retailers uh, that are kind of giants in their areas. Uh, I'll add three more that kind of caught my attention, and I'll talk about these uh, to some extent. Best Buy, uh, Macy's, and Kroger. So these companies, if we look at them, you'll, you'll get kind of a consistent story where they gave some type of cautious outlook for the remainder of 2023, where each of the companies projected either flat 
or kind of weak sales over the next year. And if I were to label the the headline out of this week, uh, it's something we, we've seen throughout much of the last, I would say, six months, maybe even beyond that. But it would be this pullback in discretionary consumer spending, where we're seeing some shift away from discretionary items such as electronics, apparel and clothing, toys, jewelry, and we're seeing a shift towards more consumer essentials. So food and household essentials would really be where we're seeing a shift in consumer spending. There's also some shift towards services, and that's that's also part of what we're seeing. But from the standpoint of a retailer, the, the, the primary focus or what's really on their radar would be the shift away from the discretionary items and toward the more necessities that are out there. So if you think of those companies I mentioned, Walmart would probably be a good good company to look at. It's large. It sells a lot of products uh, in its retail spaces, but it has a large share of its sales in grocery items and a significant share in non-grocery. So if, if we look at an environment where there's a price-sensitive consumer and there is this shift towards uh, necessities and, and, and staples of, of, of uh, households' expenditures, uh, you might think that Walmart is perhaps the best suited for that environment because they're kind of the low-price leader and they're also, compared to the target, they have a much larger share of their sales and grocery items. So Walmart gave somewhat of a, a weaker projection for growth, around 2 to 2.5% two in their sales over the next year. Target was a bit more pessimistic in sales over the next year. Uh, they they uh, recommended or they gave guidance that their sales over the next year would be somewhere between uh, a negative single-digit drop in sales to a slightly positive single-digit increase. So that's essentially, in other words, they're saying flat sales over the next year. Lowe's and Home Depot would have given similar projections. Uh, now, if you think about Lowe's and Home Depot and you compare them to Walmart and Target, you're looking at more discretionary items uh, in, in those stores. So they might be more vulnerable to this environment where we're seeing this shift in consumer spending. Now, the, the further I go away from Target and Walmart, I think you're going to see some companies that are more and more vulnerable to that. Uh, if I look at Best Buy and Macy's, they projected declines. They were they they didn't give a range in the positive territory. They projected declines in sales over the next year. And in fact, over the last quarter, they also reported uh, that they experienced declines in their sales. So th th those are companies that really do sell discretionary items and are likely to be uh, finding the next year a lot more difficult. Now, Kroger is as essential as you can get, and they. Uh, we're more in the lines of Walmart and what they were predicting, although they're not as diversified as Walmart. So I think a big takeaway from the last two weeks of earnings reports, again, particularly focusing on these retail giants, is that they're all reporting this shift in consumer spending patterns. It impacted their sales over the last quarter, which would have included, it would have included the holiday shopping season where they reported this shift occurred during that time. But in, in addition to seeing this shift towards more household essentials and more spending in that area, they're also projecting a slowdown in their sales over the next year. So I think that's noteworthy to point out. Uh, if I think of another piece of information we got, the National Association of Business Economics, a professional organization 
of economists who are primarily outside of academics. So these would be uh, for uh, for-profit companies or non-profit, but not in academics. Uh, that organization released a survey of its members, which are professional economists. And the general consensus in that survey was that sometime this year, we're going to see a slowdown in economic activity. Now, in an earlier version of this survey, which came out in December, they, a majority uh, answered that it was likely that we would have a recession in the first quarter of this year. The latest release of this survey, because they do it throughout the year, the latest release, uh, that view kind of changed. And the projection of when a, a recession would be more likely has been postponed or delayed beyond the first quarter. So later in 2023 is where most in that survey would have expected a recession to occur. And that would align with what we're hearing from a lot of these large retailers where they're expecting to see declines in sales over the next year and the drop in sales, or let me, let me be clear, weak sales, uh, but the more a company is focused on discretionary items by consumers, the more likely they'll see a drop is what we're seeing in the earnings reports and the conference calls and the earnings reports that came out this week. So uh, not the best of news, but it's it's kind of holding your ear to the street on what some of the largest companies who interact with consumers are seeing right now and, and expecting over the course of 2023. All right. Well, one story that uh, certainly centers on some of the divisions and, and controversies of economics uh, is self-checkout. And so the there seems to be quite the dividing line on that. And um, one of the interesting stories as far as the test cases uh, of, of state legislature goes is Rhode Island taking action about limiting how many of those can be open at a time. Uh, what do we see as the, the reasoning behind this and, and the response? Let me see if I could be a referee on this one. This <laughs> seems to be getting a lot of attention um, I'm, I'm doubtful this will actually be passed, but it's an interesting conversation to have, and it's interesting for discussion purposes, so might as well talk about it for that, that reason. But there is a proposal in the State House in Rhode Island that would penalize grocery stores, kind of a nice segue from the previous topic. It would penalize grocery stores if they uh, have a, a lot of self-checkout lanes being used. And to be more specific, it would limit the number of self-checkout lanes at a grocery store, just a grocery store. There's other types of retailers out there, but just grocery stores. It would limit the number of self-checkout lanes to eight. All right. So I'm not sure how they got to the number of eight, but it, it, it proposes eight. And if a customer of that grocery store had 10 or more items and they used a self-checkout line, the proposal that's in this legislation would require the grocer to provide a 10% discount to that customer who has 10 or more items. So I'm going to try to be a referee here and um, to address the question, if we think of the reasons why this was proposed, uh, we hear a lot about automation and new technologies kind of replacing some work that uh, people can do. And this might be a way of trying to address the adverse uh, consequences in the labor market due to automation and new technologies. When you get that substitution of machines and technology for workers, um, that, that's one of the elements there. So there might be some aspect on improving the outcomes of some workers out there. 
I would imagine another argument in favor of this would be that uh, right now the cost of groceries has been increasing quite a bit for the last two years. This could uh, be some type of uh, way of trying to help the consumer. I would imagine that. And I could give another potential argument in favor of this, which would be, have you ever been to a grocery store where a lot of people were uh, having a large volume of orders or a large volume of items in a self-checkout lane? Maybe it took a while. So maybe it's just a uh, customer satisfaction issue. Now, on the opposing side, there could be some cons to this. Uh, first and foremost, it's possible that not all aspects of self-checkout self lanes are negative. Uh, it could result in cost savings that could be transferred from the grocer to the consumer. Uh, if we think about it also, it's possible that grocers could expand their a uh, number of hours they're open, particularly in the early morning hours and the late hours, if they have the ability to use self-checkout lanes, that could be another possibility there. Uh, if you have that requirement of a 10% discount, uh, what's saying the grocer just can't increase the price higher by 10% or some amount there? So there might be some questions about the feasibility of enforcing this particular uh, approach to addressing self-checkout lanes if there is an issue there. Um, and some might argue that this is something that's best left to private companies and it might be an overreach of the state legislature to do that. So I, I think there are going to be a lot of arguments in favor and against this, and it'll be an interesting conversation to hear. Uh, I, I don't think there's much support for this, uh, and I'd be surprised if it actually passed for, for that reason. It does remind me, living from the, the northeastern part of the country most of my life, it does remind me of the state of Missouri, or the state of New Jersey, where in the state of New Jersey, you are not allowed to put your own gasoline into the gas tank of your car. So they don't allow, by, by state law, they do not allow self-service at gas stations in New Jersey. And it kind of reminds me of that where similar function, similar function where you have some type of self-service or self-checkout feature, but uh, we could ask what really is the advantage of outlawing that or restricting that. That's something that they'll have to decide in Rhode Island. All right. Well, before we close out the show, shall we end it uh, as usual with things that uh, we should be looking out for and what economists are keeping their eyes on in the days and weeks to come? Oh, sure. Next week, there'll be kind of an uptick in the number of reports uh, from official sources on economic activity. So two big ones next week would be the job openings and labor turnover survey, which would cover the month of February. And that would look at the number of job vacancies currently available vis-a-vis -vis, uh, quits or involuntary separations. And if we were to ask, is the labor market tight? Is there a big gap between the number of uh, employers looking to hire versus the number of unemployed people? Uh, that would be something we would look at. So that's the JOLTS for short, the Job Openings and Labor Turnover Survey. Uh, we'll also get the official unemployment number at the end of the week. So we'll see if that changed at all and what has happened to the pace of new job growth over the last month of February. January was particularly strong. So we'll ask, was that just a blip upward in the numbers or was there something to it where uh, that might persist for a longer time, which would make the, the role of the Federal Reserve in trying to address inflation a little bit more difficult. Speaking of the Federal Reserve, the beige book will come out next week, which is another good ear to the street type of survey that looks at some of the 
ongoing events and uh, phenomenon going on in the 12 different Federal Reserve District uh, areas. Uh, I mentioned earnings reports later where we're seeing a lot of reports or discussion on the shift away from discretionary consumer spending towards more necessities. Uh, two uh, good case studies and whether that uh, is going on in other companies will happen next week. Uh, Dick Sporting Goods on the discretionary side and Campbell's Soup on the necessity side uh, will both re re be reporting their quarterly earnings numbers. So uh, we might see a similar story with them, but we'll have to wait and see what they report. All right. David Yaskevich, thank you so much for being here today. Appreciate you making the time. Oh, thank you. As always, the pleasure was mine. To our audience as well, we appreciate you all being with us here today. This is Money Talks, our economics uh, program, all about your news and uh, all that affects your wallet, both uh, here and in the, the broader nation overall. And we are here every Friday at 5.30. Tune in then. And until then, we're going to turn you back over to uh, Heartland News at 6, just coming up around the corner. Stay tuned for that.